Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A, and I, I think we're just going to jump right into it. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any, uh, any announcements um, that I can think of. Cool. We got some cool shit coming up, but I'll just leave it at that. You guys got to wait and see. Awesome. So let's start off with the first one is from Kelsey Cesar. It says, now I know this is far from optimal, but I often have to split up my workout into a couple parts because I have a toddler and also a four-month-old. While this, while this is the situation, it, it, my workout is almost always interrupted. Besides a workout just not being as effective, do you have any idea of any other issues that come to mind without breaking up a workout? Or should I just do what I can and call it a day once I am called back to mom duties? I think that you should plan or create a program that is built and designed for having to be split up. I think there's a few things here that become an issue, right? Number one, splitting up a workout or doing two days or anything like that is an issue when it just puts you into a place of doing too much volume, right? So like if I were to do two separate workouts that were both an hour long and I'm just lifting both of them, I'm just going to burn out. It's just too much, right? Two days should be reserved for cardio and training. And even that is like pushing the volume and intensity quite a bit. But if you have to, then I think you should create the program that's more suitable for it. And what I mean by that is, is ultimately just remember this. Number one, I don't think you should just call it quits when you got to, you know, go back to mom duties. Like you should just get what you can done. Most of the time I do say like, hey, some is better than none. So just get yeah. what you can done. I, I do agree with that from a, a principal perspective. However, I also think that most of the time recovery and adaptation both are going to come from the sum of volume that you're doing, right? The total amount of work being put in. So, and this is with stress in general, right? So like the more stress... In the stress bucket, the more it overflows, the harder it is to recover, yep. basically. So if you're like splitting up your workout into two, but you're still within a recoverable amount of volume per week, you're gonna be totally fine. It doesn't matter if you split it up. The only thing I can say is that your performance might suffer in the second session because if you if you are doing a lift and then you get interrupted and you gotta be a mom for an hour and then you try to come back to it, I promise you, you're not gonna be as fresh as you were. Totally. It's almost better to plan for this. And what I would do is go, okay, I'm in the morning, I'm gonna work out. Based on my track record, I get 45 minutes before the baby or my child interrupts it. And at that point, you get distracted until you can free up time. And then you come back and have a half-assed second part of the session because you're just a little bit taxed. Rather than doing that, take your full session and go, I usually get 45 minutes done. So that means I can do my compound lift and one accessory in the morning. So maybe you go in and you do your squat and you do an RDL, right? Your first compound and first assistant work that takes you about 45 minutes altogether with warm up and all that. Then you just plan to go be a mom, right? Then you come back four to six hours later, four to six being specifically because most research shows when we're doing two days or concurrent training, we should be splitting up the training bout by four to six hours. It's just better for recovery, joint health, things like that. Come back four to six hours later, and then you do another 45-minute workout. And that might be all your accessory and isolation work. So you come in, and maybe you do like a lunge, and then like some leg extensions, leg curls, calf raises, abs, and you're done. Just like easy, quick isolation exercises that are kind of like the icing on top. But I promise you, you'll do better if you split it up that way 
because number one, you don't feel like you're failing or anything's getting messed up. You came in to squat and do some RDLs. You had enough time. You got it done. You accomplished it. Go back to being a mom. Then you come back in to do a little bit of isolation work. You don't get interrupted because it's a short period of time. You get it done. It's going to mentally be easier for you because you don't feel like you're failing. Anytime you set yourself up for failure, you feel like you're failing all yeah. the time. And it's, it wears on you. So instead of, and this is why like flexible dieting is good for people who struggle with cheating because it's like, hey, let's teach you how to fit that chocolate into your diet. Because now mentally, you're not failing or cheating your diet. Because if you're a cheater, you feel like shit. Yeah. Plain and simple, right? Whereas if you are allowed to fit the chocolate in and you learn how to fit the chocolate in and still lose weight, you're just, I mean, it's kind of like a cheat code. I mean, you just know what the fuck to do. You're just good at this. So I would split it up and I would do it intentionally and I would just split your workouts like that. Your compound main strength lift in the, in the earlier part of the day, take a good break four or six hours later, come back and do it again if you can. Um, obviously, if you can't, that becomes an issue. You could always train more and train for lower duration. So if you're lifting three or four days a week, maybe live five, six, even seven days a week, but your sessions are 30 to 45 minutes and you only do a little bit each session. You have like a compound lift Monday, accessory Tuesday, compound lift Wednesday, accessory Thursday, and you just alternate. That way you can train every day without overdoing it, but your sessions don't get interrupted because they're only 30 to 45 minutes long instead of an hour to an hour and a half. Yeah, also easier to adhere to in that situation. Exactly. Yeah. So either way, the whole point of this is, is most people try to constantly navigate or deal with, I should say, disturbances, distractions, issues, stress, why not design a way around it? Why not design a way through it, right? Even with stress in general, I often tell people, instead of avoiding stress, you should build your tolerance for stress because stress is life. Yeah, Everything gets placed onto you is a stress. You need to be able to handle it. A calorie deficit to lose fat, which is a very positive thing, is a stress. A child is a stress. These are positive things, but they are stress, right? If you can't handle it, you're going to crack. You're not going to be able to recover. You're not going to be able to get the result. You're not going to be able to be the parent that you want to be. You're not going to get the physique you want to get. So instead of trying to avoid the stress, just deal with it by creating solutions. And the solution in this scenario is simple. You split up your workouts into shorter sessions and do them every damn day, or you split it up on purpose, morning and night, and you give yourself four to six hours in between so you can perform optimally in each. Because if you only take an hour between and that hour is filled with screaming kids and babies, I promise you, you're going to come back into the gym and you're going to just train like shit. Yeah. It doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like if something's wrong with my daughter and I then try to lift right afterwards, my lift sucks. It's just not going to happen because I'm thinking about her. And that's, that'll be the same situation here. So split it up or do daily sessions that are shorter. And I think that's probably going to be your best bet. Just design a program for your situation. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's uh, do another here. We got another uh, design program design question. It says, I want to get freakishly strong, but can only work out four days a week for about an hour. What training split would you suggest? I am currently on a typical bro split um, assigned by my trainer. I would not recommend a typical bro split. In fact, that is literally the polar opposite. Actually, the polar opposite would be like yoga, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Something like completely different. But I definitely wouldn't recommend a bro split. Bro split is very much so geared towards hypertrophy. And uh, to be honest with you, it's actually not what I would recommend for hypertrophy. I think a bro split is just suboptimal from, if we look at science, you know. Mm -hmm. Certain people can get away with a bro split. And so I'm going to break down these different things so people understand what I'm talking about. A bro split is an old school bodybuilding split. They call it a bro split because if, if you think of a 
bro, doing a bro split. They're wearing like a stringer tank doing curls and chest flies in the gym. Yep. They're probably sweaty and juiced out of their mind, strong, jacked. Like you picture that, you yep. know, that's a bro split. Bro split is doing one muscle group per day. You go in, you have chest day and you just fucking annihilate your pecs. Then you have back day and you just do tons of rows and pulls. Then you have arm day and you just do curls and extensions. Then you have quad day, you just do leg extensions, leg press, stuff like that. So for most people, this is very ineffective because Number one, you overly stimulate and fatigue a muscle too quickly and muscle protein synthesis will drop. This is why there's a total amount of volume per muscle per session that is optimal. Once we go beyond, I want to say it's eight to 10. I think you might be able to get away with 11 hard sets. So this is not like if I'm doing a bench press and I do three warm up sets, those don't count. The four sets I do for working heavyweight, that counts. If I do over eight to 10 sets, let's just say 10 for easy math. Now, muscle protein synthesis starts to lower. It actually starts to do the opposite of what we want, and we start to, start to be in a, a, uh, a disadvantaged place for muscle growth and recovery. Um, and they see this when we go above 10 sets. A, a typical upper body day for me will probably have 8 to 10 sets in it of, per muscle group, right? So if I go in and I have an upper body day or a push day even, I'm doing chest, shoulders, and triceps. On an upper body day, I might be doing chest, shoulders, triceps, and back. Mm. But let's say a push for easy programming i would do four sets of bench press four sets of flies two sets of burnout push-ups then i would do shoulder presses you know what i mean and what i typically do with that is like i'll do 10 sets on chest and then eight sets on shoulders because we got to remember that when you do anything for chest your shoulders are still getting some attention you know you can't not you can't avoid your shoulders while doing presses and then you spend a little bit less time maybe four to six sets maybe eight doing triceps because triceps are getting hit with both shoulder and totally. bench presses. Yeah. So we lower it down. But the point with that is, is that's, I mean, that's a brutal session and I'm doing three muscle groups. So if I have a chest day, like a bro, I'm probably doing four sets of bench, then four sets of incline bench, then four sets of decline bench. Then I'm doing some flies. Then I'm doing some dips. Then I'm doing some push ups because you just have to, I mean, you got to fill up an hour of time. Yeah. And if we look at how much volume we're supposed to do in an entire week, you would have to do that much in that one session. But the problem is, is you overstimulate and under-recover and, and you are putting yourself in a disadvantaged uh, position for muscle protein synthesis. And then you're not even hitting that muscle group uh, until next Monday. So a full seven days before you hit it again, which is also suboptimal from just the frequency of sending the signal to grow to your muscle, right? So you'd be better off doing a push-pull legs where you go Monday, you're pushing, Thursday, you're pushing. Twice a week, three days in between, plenty of time to recover, maximizing volume per session and per week. Or an upper-lower split, which I would say is my favorite kind of split. It's what I would recommend to this person, and I'll explain why. But if somebody's trying to, like he said, freakishly strong, if he said freakishly huge, I would say push both legs. Because you can do more volume. It's more geared towards bodybuilding. It's like an intelligent bro split. Um, But there's certain people who can get away with a bro split, and that is uh, typically people who are on steroids. (laughs) Yeah, old school bodybuilders, yeah. bros. Um, I, I'm, I mean, I'm a bro too, but I'm not the juiced out meathead. And, and I mean, you can tell by how big I am. I'm not that big. Yeah. And I look bigger on Instagram. Let's be honest. Most people do. Um, I've been told that, uh, oh, you're smaller than I thought you'd be in person many times. Ouch. But I mean, if you think about it, like the way you take pictures while yeah. I'm training, I'm in the middle of training. You're yeah. getting the right angles. Yeah. Of course, I look bigger than oh, I yeah. am. Um, and that's fine. Most people don't see me in person. <laughs> Um, but, but the point is, is, is when you're doing steroids, uh, a few things happen. Number one, your strength increases. So you can keep that volume higher or, or that performance higher because if we look and at longer. that and longer, right? So in a session longer, 
if we look at that uh, chest day, you go bench and then you go incline bench and then you go to decline bench. By the time I'm done with my second exercise of bench pressing, I'm already eight sets into chest. I'm fatigued. Yeah. My chest is not performing like it would. So already you're going to see a drop in intensity effort and volume from a load perspective, which is going to harm your results. But with steroids, it's a performance enhancement drug. Yeah. So you're not really going to see that decline, maybe a little bit, but not that much. Right. The other side of it is when we inject steroids and I'm not talking about testosterone, testosterone is one of the many types of steroids in a way, but testosterone elevates your sex hormone testosterone it doesn't actually lead to muscle growth it's more of a sex producing hormone so get your testosterone going better for sex reasons uh, libido reasons but also for mental reasons usually mental clarity memory uh, motivation stuff like that that that's what guys need testosterone for people on steroids take testosterone for sure and it amps them up to train 100 percent but the steroids that are actually causing muscle growth are things like Dianabol, Tren, Clombuterol to an extent, but that's usually to get you shredded. Um, some guys take insulin, growth hormone. Those things make you grow. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's kind of scary because it's yeah. just a fucking, it's breaking like, bad, dude. Yeah. That's what I always think of. It's like concoction of stuff. Yeah. Um, you're formulating here. But uh, it's just growing. Yeah, literally. Well, and that's, and that's why when, when people die from steroids, it's because it gets out of hand, obviously, yeah. but when it gets out of hand, what happens is, I mean, all these things, think of growth hormone. It doesn't just select muscles. It's not that smart. It grows everything. Yeah. That's why their jaw gets bigger. Their heart gets bigger. Their lung, everything fucking grows. And your body's not designed to support a, a heart the size of a horse heart. You yeah. know, like, you're going to fucking die. Yeah, you're going to have a heart attack. Um, but anyway, and that's not everybody. There's, there's plenty of people who take steroids the safe way and they don't get out of hand. Through a doctor and exactly i don't know how i'm i'm assuming it would be very addicting because if you're into seeing that result it's probably hard to slow down totally or stop yeah i would never i couldn't do it because i have a very addictive personality and i would probably get out of hand um and shannon wouldn't let me but um let's be honest we we know who the boss is but uh all, all the married men know what i'm talking about uh but with with steroids, uh, those hormones send a muscle protein synthesis signal constantly. Yeah. So in that scenario where I do a chest day and I actually blunt the MPS response after a certain amount of sets, those guys don't have that problem. And the next day when I'm not recovering as much because I overdid it, they don't have that problem because guess what? Those steroids they take, it just keeps pumping that muscle protein synthesis signal, mm. right? That's why people on steroids, and there's not a lot of research on this because it's very rare to get a, bu- a big group of guys taking steroids that you can document in studies, but most people speculate that that's why people on steroids can utilize more protein. Mm. So you can have, for me, like one gram per pound maxes out my what I'm going to get out of protein. There's other reasons to consume more than a gram, but it might be 1.5 grams for them to maximize because their body is, you're putting something in your body that allows you to utilize more amino acids yeah. from protein. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so... For all these reasons, a bro split makes sense not, for those guys. It's not ideal. Yeah. It's not ideal for naturals. Yeah. It's ideal for, I wouldn't even say it's ideal, but it's a, it's an option for yeah. people on steroids. Um, I think you'd probably get better results doing something like a push-pull leg still. But for all these reasons, the only reason I would ever say a natural athlete should do a bro split, and I have done a bro split more than once, especially like way back when I didn't know any better, but I've even revisited them every once in a while. Because they're fun. Mm. I mean, you don't go into it going, I'm maximizing results. You go into it like having a chest day where I can't lift my arms because my pecs are so pumped. Like, 
as a satisfying. It's very satisfying. Yeah. It, and you're if you're a bro, it's just fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but outside of that, I don't see the point. So for for you who wants to get freakishly strong, I'm probably going to go with an upper lower split. And uh, I'm probably going to go with somewhat of a West Side Conjugate Method style of training. Uh, and what that means is you're going to have two max effort days, two dynamic effort days. If it's a power lifter, I'm rotating these things specifically. If it's somebody like myself who doesn't compete but has performance goals, I'm going to cater it to them. And what I mean by that is like I stepped into my current uh, like 12-week programming, my quarterly goal of like I want to deadlift this much weight. Not I want to get freakishly strong across the board. Just I just want to fucking deadlift this much weight. Mm. So, and the reason I say this is because we have a, a in this conjugate style of training, you have a max effort and a dynamic effort day. If somebody needs to lift better in all lifts, I'm going to rotate the lift that's on that max effort. It's going to be deadlift sometimes. It's going to be squat sometimes because we need to do a max effort squat and a max effort deadlift. But if somebody like me just wants to build their deadlift, we're just doing max effort deadlift the whole time basically. And then the uh, dynamic effort day is probably going to mainly be speed work on the squat, but in variations that will also aid the deadlift, like a wide stance uh, box squat or a sumo deadlift with bands for speed or a rack pull, things like that. Um, and then your accessory work falls behind, but you can get a conjugate style programming done in an hour for sure. Yeah. If you're like, you're diligent and you're on it. Um, the be- best thing you can do is, is keep exercises minimal. So instead of going deadlift and then a squat and then a lunge and then an RDL and then calf raises and abs, you're doing all these things. Like, I mean, you saw me, Monday, that was a very simple leg day. That's probably how I would suggest it. For sure. Trap bar deadlift after the warm-up. Trap bar deadlift. Uh, I did a barbell split squat, glute ham raise, and then an ab finisher. That's really three main exercises. That's it. But I did five sets of all of them, and I lifted as heavy as I fucking could. 200-pound split squats on an elevation for six to eight. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going heavy. So in this style of training, you go, okay, I only have an hour. Instead of doing a ton of variation, I'm going to pick minimal variation and I'm going to maximize intensity. I'm trying to go mm-hmm. as hard and heavy as I can in these few main lifts that I'm doing today. Yeah. Upper body, you're never going to be able to do that because there's more muscles on your upper body that you have to improve. So you're going to do probably six exercises, let's yeah. say. But even then, you still can do supersets. You can go back to back and make it more efficient. Yeah. You say, you know, you say limiting your variation and upping your intensity, but uh, would you pri- prioritize that over like maybe minimizing your rest periods to all fit it in to an hour? Yeah, because uh, it, when we minimize rest periods, uh, metabolic fatigue goes up. When metabolic fatigue goes up, recovery goes down. And when recovery goes, goes down, we can't lift as heavy. So what they find is that metabolic fatigue is basically your aerobic and oxidative ability to get back into the set. So this is why power lifters and strength athletes should do cardio because if you improve your aerobic conditioning, you mm-hmm. can take shorter rest periods without it hurting your performance um, in the gym with lifts. But in general, if I do a set of five, if it takes me, let's say, five minutes to fully recover before I can lift that heavy weight again, yeah. I, I could track that and then I could work on my aerobic ability and, and training for six months and then try to get that down to two minutes and still be able to perform that well, that would be a good indication of my aerobic ability improving. But that's a huge improvement and yeah. that's probably not going to happen in six months. And most guys who are really serious about freakishly, getting freakishly strong, don't do that. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't lower rest period only because of that. It, it increases metabolic fatigue, which makes sense. If you think about doing a heavy deadlift 
and then trying to get right back to a deadlift one, two minutes later, your heart's still pumping. Yeah. You know, you're still breathing hard. It's tiring. Your cardiovascular system, your aerobic system is what allows you to bring that heart rate down sooner and recover faster. But you can only do so. And I mean, like you got to think about the heavier you go, the harder it is to recover, yeah. right? So usually for guys who get stronger and stronger and stronger, they actually need more and more rest between sets to yeah. fully recover. Um, so if we want to minimize metabolic fatigue so that we can continually increase uh, strength and performance, we can't shorten the rest periods. Mm. Um, it used to be a theory that you should shorten the rest periods like two minutes or less for hypertrophy because it's more time under tension. Yeah. So if we stop a set, take a short rest and get back to it. There's still a lot of blood in the muscle and that contributes to more time under tension and time under tension. It leads to muscle growth. They later found out that time under tension doesn't fucking matter. Volume's more important. And typically when we increase time under tension, once again, metabolic fatigue increases. Our heart rate's up higher. The pump is harder. Um, I mean, we've all had a pump to where like you can barely move, right? Like if I do curls and my arms are just full of blood, I got to rest a few minutes just to be able to like fully do a curl again. So if I take too short of of a rest, I'm either a going to have to drop the load or do less reps. Either way, my volume lowers and yeah. I get worse results. So are you, I'm not saying you're claiming, but are you saying time and attention doesn't matter at all or just to do with rest periods? Doesn't matter at all would be a strong yeah. statement. I would say it doesn't, it, it's not the most important thing. And okay. it's definitely not as important as we thought it was. Opposed to volume. Yeah. Okay. Volume is most important for muscle growth. Um, and volume is going to primarily be total sets per muscle group per week and or sets times reps times load. Gotcha. So being able to lift heavier for that amount of volume. And then strength is based on intensity, which is the load. Gotcha. So if my maximal effort is 400 pounds on this lift, then I need to be within 80% of that in order to maximize strength adaptation, which are very neurological, right? Both of those are going to be harder to do when you're metabolically fatigued though. So if we shorten the rest period, no matter what, both of those are going to suffer. And either one of those results is going to suffer because of that. Totally. Time under tension to me serves the purpose of knowledge. So even for, for like, let's say, let's say I'm trying to teach you how to do a specific movement. And I know for a fact that if we create more time under tension, you're not going to be able to do as many reps or as much load. So technically your results won't be as good. However, if that allows you to connect with the muscle, it allows you to slow down, feel how it feels to really put that muscle under tension and direct your attention to that muscle during that exercise because that's the intent and the goal. And it allows you to slow down for the joint. Like let's say it's a bench press. Mm -hmm. Now you can really think about like, okay, I'm pulling my shoulder into the bench. I'm retracting my scapula, kind of rowing back. I feel the stretch of my pecs. Now I'm going to press through. I'm locking out my elbow so my tricep activates. I'm going to protract my shoulder to really get that full contraction of the pec. Like you're going through that and it's teaching you. If you go fast, you can't think like that. But if I say three seconds down, two second pause, three seconds up, you're going to do less reps with less weight but you're going to learn a lot more. Yeah. So I do think that tempo and uh, time under tension applies in certain areas for that reason um, and or for the reason of fun. kind of like, applies differently for a beginner and applies differently for advanced. Exactly. And you're doing it for two different reasons, whether you're doing it on purpose because you know what you're doing or purpose of learning. Yeah, 100%. Um, and there's times too where it's just for fun yeah. because like uh, yesterday I did, well, I was like doing those. change it up. Yeah, and well, I was doing those seated curls yesterday, yeah. and then I, I didn't have this in the program, but I stood up, yeah. dropped the bar for like two seconds, shook it off, and did as many as I could standing. Why? Because sitting down and doing it strict is harder, so I know if I stand up now, I can do more. That's called a mechanical drop set. I would have gotten more out of it if I would have waited two minutes and just done another set, but I didn't have another set in my program, and I felt like just getting a crazy pump 
and just filling up my arms with blood. So I stood up and just cranked out as many as I could. Yeah. Purely for fun. Yep. Not the most optimal. It's better than not doing either, but there's a better way to do it. Hmm. But that's more fun. So I'm going to be more motivated to do it. Cool. That's it. Um, all right. So let's go to our last question here. It's more nutrition-based. It says, for some reason, I find it hard to dial in my nutrition after the holidays. I was in a cut before, and it was going very smoothly before the holidays. Now, though, it seems to be much harder. Any thoughts, words, or advice for why this is happening? Yeah. You know, the truth is, is most people experience this, and it's typically for different reasons. So... What I mean by this, when I say experience this, is going on a vacation, taking a diet break, taking a refeed, falling off a diet, anything like that, and then coming back to it and it being more difficult. And there's different reasons as to why this would happen. So a good example of this, I have a client who is very dedicated. She's down, I don't want to butcher it. I mean, a good amount of weight and she went through like a bulk and then she hired me and we started taking her through a cut. She's a trainer as well. Shout out to Kelly. And she, I mean, she looks phenomenal. Like her abs are popping out. We're not even to the photo shoot yet. We still have like two and a half months, which is super dope. But she, we took a diet break, a full week diet break for the holiday because I knew she was going to be going to out of town with her family. Doing holiday stuff. Exactly. So, and I, I want to say it was her and her wife's anniversary as well. So either way, there was multiple celebrations, right? And so I'm like, hey, let's just take a diet break. There's no point. Most of it was intuitive, but she understands how to control it. So we kind of stayed within boundaries, blah, blah, blah. She came back. She's like on the fucking diet. Didn't gain weight. She's progressing, but she did her update this week. And she was just like, I'm seriously hungry, like more hungry than I've been this whole time. Why is that? And in her situation, it was primarily a physiological thing, right? Mentally, she's fine. She is a trainer. She's committed. She's been on the diet. She's not fatigued yet. So it's not like a mental thing of like, I'm just craving food. She's just like legitimately hungry. And so what I told her is, you know, when we take a diet break or any type of refeed, really, this is why they thought cheat meals would speed up your metabolism or refeeds would stimulate your metabolism is because when we have an increase of calories, metabolic hormones kick up. So if we are on a diet and then we take a refeed day or a cheat meal and we increase our calories from 2,000 to 3,000, let's say, leptin, ghrelin, metabolism, all these things ramp up. Thyroid ramps up. Cortisol lowers. So now we have these things where I'm recovered more because the cortisol has dropped. My thyroid is stimulated, so the metabolism probably speeds up a little bit. And then ghrelin and leptin, which are hunger hormones, are kicked up too, totally. both of which are going to lead to more fat loss but also more hunger. One of them is a hunger signaling hormone that says, hey, I'm hungry, keep going. The other one is one that says, we're eating, ramp up metabolism, right? Burn more calories. And the thing here I want people to understand is the reason we know this isn't like a fat burning strategy is because it, it regulates so that you burn what you uptick. So you don't eat more and burn more. You eat more and burn more temporarily to burn off what you're eating right now, mm. right? But if you continue to eat more, you don't just keep burning. It adapts, right? So this is why somebody can do a two-day refeed and they come back to it and they're on the diet and they're like, oh, I didn't gain any weight, but I ate in a surplus for two days. It's like, well, yeah, you technically ate at your true maintenance, which is more calories than you're currently eating and your, your metabolic hormones kicked up to manage that essentially and balance it out, right? Um, but what happens is when she goes from that diet break to back to a deficit mm -hmm. at first those hormones are still elevated a little bit so you're still hungry right so typically after a diet break you're a couple pounds up and then you drop those couple pounds while those metabolic hormones are up you're gonna be hungry that whole first week is gonna oh. be like damn i'm hungry my body wants food because i was just spent a full week eating more 
Now I'm used to that mentally and physiologically speaking. My, my body is like literally asking for more food. Um, there's stuff you can do about this, which I'll mention in a sec. The other scenario, and that's, okay, so diet break refeed, they're basically the same exact concept. Yep. The other scenario would be a cheat meal, a vacation, intuitive eating, even a refeed or diet break, but when we talk about the psychological, not physiological. And with the psychological, it is purely that you had a bunch of good food that you loved and you it kind of just reminded you like, damn, this stuff tastes good. Mm-hmm. And if you think about like uh, an alcoholic, right? Somebody could be sober for years and then they just have that one sip and boom, they're on a bender. Yep. They're drinking again. Chain smoker, drug addict, anything. Yeah. Same thing. Why? Because dopamine. When you have a drug, you have a drink, you have sex, <laughs> you have candy, dopamine kicks up. It's a, a reward uh, chemical in your brain. It just tells you like, this feels fucking good. Give me more. So the reason is because, you know, when we have Christmas treats and drinks and all this stuff, we want more of it because this dopamine response is addicting and we yeah. want to keep consuming it. Um, I know for me, all of December was pretty off and it was hard because I, I was drinking like a few nights a week, which is not normal for me, but it was just one of those things where like family was over and it was a Monday. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll have drinks holiday. And then two days later, I'm like craving it still. And it's just me and Shannon, but I'm like, fuck it, it's Christmas, you know, and you just kind of keep doing it. And then you need something like New Year's to be like, I'm back on, yeah. going to grind this in. So you got to have a purposeful intention to get back on board, which is always why there should always be a plan in place for accountability and structure following any kind of break like this. That's strategy number one, because now you can come off that break and you have a direct path and plan to jump right back into and keep you accountable for it. Um, the other side of this is that you can kind of trick your body in ways. So one way is to, there's two ways. I've talked about this a little bit. One, refrain from dopamine depleting activities because if you fuck with this dopamine balance too much, it actually can cause like mood swings, depression, stuff like that. So you want to have sensitive dopamine because then what you can do is replace that dopamine with something else. The best way to make sure that you uh, aren't depleting your dopamine and leading to this is to avoid overly stimulating things like video games. People are going to be mad that I said this, but that is one of the ones that like is extremely stimulating. And you can imagine why you're in a different world doing crazy shit. There's fucking lights, you know? Um, this is why they say you can't watch too much TV or you can't be too close to a screen. This is why they say porn is really bad for you. It depletes your dopamine and it creates this disadvantage for sensitivity to it. So if you avoid some of those activities that cause that and you do things that require more work, learning a new skill, working out, stuff like that, reading, those things do provide you dopamine, but they require a bunch of extended work to reach the dopamine. So there's like this work reward balance that helps. It's not overly stimulating. But the whole point of me saying this is that you go to Christmas, you have this food, you do all stuff that's going to be kicking up dopamine. It feels good. It feels awesome. You need something else that will... Bring back. Give, exactly afterwards. So knowing that you can work out or get back to learning that new skill or reading or doing whatever thing it is that you can shift that dopamine focus to tracking habits is a good one. As crazy as it sounds, checking off those boxes and hitting those habits. Um, that's a really good one to ensure that you're not doing this, creating this disadvantage and this imbalance with your dopamine levels and you can get back off of it. Um, the other thing would be like, it's hard to do this without having somebody like lying to you and feeding you, but like you could technically lie to yourself about what you're eating. Um, you'd almost have to be in a study, but they have a lot of studies that show like if I give you like a, a protein bar 
and it says 450 calories on it, but it's really only 150, you will be more satiated because mentally you think it's 450 calories and you know that 450 calories is more filling than 150. And they've done this with, I did, I talked about this on the placebo. It's a placebo effect. I talked about this in the placebo episode. They did a study with uh, shakes and both shakes were 400 something calories. One shake said 610 and one shake said uh, 200 and something, or maybe it was actually what it was or something like that. But basically one said more than it was. And the people who had the one that was labeled at a higher caloric intake had notes of not being hungry afterwards. They had higher satiation. They actually ended up losing more weight because they didn't overeat. And the group that it said lower ended up saying they were hungry again and they didn't have as much success, even though they had the same amount of calories. One group just thought they ate more than they actually did and therefore they stayed more satiated. Gotcha. So that's where like uh, we made a big ass salad the other day and I take like literally like the mixing bowl. It's like a whole fucking bag of lettuce tons of like olives, just tons of stuff. It keeps it pretty low calorie, lots of chicken, but it's so much in that bowl that I'm like absolutely stuffed. And yeah. that's less calories than when I smoke whatever steak or meat I'm going to eat. And I have three fucking pounds of yeah. fatty meat, you know, and I'm like totally fine. Uh, it's a mental thing. It so is. that's probably how I would, I would go about it. I mean, like, that's why you're hungry. It's normal. It's, uh, it comes down to, uh, you know, you can try to save your dopamine levels a little bit, um, find different habits to build to um, improve your dopamine, your relationship with dopamine, essentially. Um, if you have a coach who's willing to create you a meal plan and completely lie to you and you have no knowledge of food, then you could go that route. But it's probably <laughs> unlikely if you're listening to this. And then the last thing Not is on our team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we won't do that. Um, and the last thing is self-discipline. I mean, realistically, it's like uh, you're hungry. Well, you're on a fucking diet. Yeah. So. Just remember, you know, it's, there's, you're doing it for a reason. Yeah. And I'll be honest, that's been me a little bit this week too, because this is the first week I'm actually back into a diet and starting because last week was the last week of the holidays. Right. And I've been a lot of nights pretty hungry. I just drink an extra can of diet root beer, chug a glass of water and man the fuck up <laughs> for lack of better terms. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, that's why self-discipline is such a valuable trait or skill or characteristic. It provides you what you need when motivation isn't there. There you go. Plain and simple. Dope. Well, those are great questions, guys. Um, we will be doing a lot more of these. So Yeah. As always, leave us a five-star rating review. Drop us a question. You can ask, ask, or you can click Ask Boom Boom. That's a tongue twister. Uh, in the description of this podcast, or you can join the Facebook group, which there is always a link for in there. And of course, you can always hit me up on Instagram if you have any questions. Um, but we want to answer your specific questions, and we want you to send us really good questions so everybody can learn with you. Catch you next time.